Hi, everyone. Welcome to the BizDev Podcast, the podcast about developing your business. I'm David Baxter, your host, and I am joining, joining? I'm joined. Hello. You're joining. uh, Joining something, something like that. Gary Voigt is with us per usual. I will not make fun of him this week. Well, I mean, it's it's so easy, but it is his two-year anniversary officially with Big Pixel, so I'll be nice to him. Uh, Congrats for uh, putting up with me for two years. Yeah, Um, I mean, it's been trying. Like every day is a struggle, but I get through. I feel like I should, you know, get like a chip or something. Like I've survived two years. A sticker. A sticker. Sticker Or a t-shirt at least. But he'd make me make the t-shirt. That covers your whole face. Yeah. (laughs) Just a mask. The problem is, um, I'm going to tell Gary this. um, Now that you've hit two years, I have to fire you tomorrow. So it's just, you know, so this is kind of a farewell podcast for you as well. So congrats and see you later. Wow. Okay. Well, should I s- just keep going? Or? Yeah, you have to finish the podcast. You don't get fired till tomorrow. Okay. So All don't right. let it, don't get weepy or anything because Peter needs a good podcast out of you before your last day. Totally out of the blue, but um, I was in a situation with a pre- previous employer where it was like, hey, we know we kind of just let you go this morning, but if you can finish up that one project before you leave today, <laughs> no joke. That is awesome. Yeah, I'm sure you did a fabulous job on that last project too. I'm sure 100% it was effort. <laughs> top notch effort, right? We are joined by Peter Mann, who is the CEO of Oransi. And I will tell you, he is our first client we have ever had on the podcast. It was complete coincidence, uh, but Peter is joining us. That is a fun title you get to have, our first client ever. And we're not going to talk about that specifically, but. It was coincidence yeah, that we reached out. It'd be odd if he had to, you know, air dirty laundry about working with us on our podcast. Promoting. Yeah, don't hire <laughs> Big Pixel. They're yeah. not great. No. Yeah, glad you guys got me on because, man, I got some stuff to say. <laughs> I got, I've been wanting to get this off my chest for a long time. So how are you, Peter? I'm doing great. Yeah. How are you? I cannot complain. I cannot complain. We just got back. We had a, a fun weekend. We I had all of our employees well, – Almost all, all the important ones. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry, Christy, don't kill me. Um, all the ones all that could make it for our 10 year anniversary party. I got to meet um, m- some of the people I hadn't met before. I've met most of the people beforehand, and now I've met all but one. I guess there's one left that I have not met, and that's Christy. Um, but it was really, really nice. We went to Gatlinburg uh, and had we're in one of those big old houses up there in the mountains. And it was lovely just hanging out. We didn't do anything specifically. I will say, I'd never been to Gatlinburg. That is Myrtle Beach without the beach. That is an intense <laughs> town. Um, or if you're from Florida, it's Kissimmee without, yeah, the flatness. It's Kissimmee with mountains in the background. It, <laughs> we did the uh, scenic coaster, which I'd never done one of those before. It's basically a, a very slow roller coaster that goes up into a mountain and kind of just spins around and stuff. They use a lot of gravity rather than chains and stuff. It was very cool. My wife, I have a video of my wife getting mad at me because I was filming it, which you're not supposed to do, by the way. I'm filming it because it's like, it's slow. It's no big deal. And she's like, are you holding on to the to the rail? Stop it. Stop recording right now. This is <laughs> I have this all on this video. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. No. Oh, it's good stuff. Anyway. So that was a lot of fun. Um, it was good seeing everybody for the first time. Because one of the things as being a remote company is you have this weird thing where you don't know your employees. And that's, that's strange. Are you guys all, like Peter, how's your company structured? Are you all 
in an office? Are you all over? Yes. Yeah, so we have a, we're a kind of a hybrid. We've got 20, 20 some odd folks here in Virginia at our, our factory, you know, office building. Mm -hmm. And then we've got probably another dozen kind of spread across the country that do more like marketing, customer service, okay. sales, stuff like that. So have you met all of them physically at any point in time or is there some you've never met? Not a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, we're going to start manufacturing here this summer and, you know, bring everybody in. So I get, there, there's just a few people I haven't met in person, but you know, it's kind of weird, you know, talking to them on zoom or what Google meet or whatever for a couple of years, and <laughs> never, never physically, you know, seeing the person. Yeah, it's kind of funny. So Matt's one of our devs. He's been on the podcast once a long time ago. I met him. He was one of the ones I'd never met before. He's quite large. Like he's six three or something. Yeah, I would say that is the biggest surprise when you meet someone face to face in person after seeing them on Zoom. Because usually like a video conference, you can't really yeah. estimate height and size. But yeah, and then you see them in purpose and or in in person I, and hold on. yeah Matt's like seven foot four or something not really but yeah he's a, <laughs> he's a big guy, guy. <laughs> it was funny is i have broad shoulders so on zoom i look large it's just how i am big melon head and big shoulders and then they meet me and it's always disappointing because i'm five six so <laughs> i come in the room and it's like whoa that's not what I saw coming. Uh, I get that every time. I think my favorite story is this was an employee. It was a potential client. I met him in person. We talked on a couple of Zooms. And he was like, I feel lied to. I feel like you should be called Little Pixel, not Big Pixel. Oh. <laughs> it's like, that's false advertising, man. I'm like, that's rough, dude. I was like, but little pixel just doesn't have the the, the ring to it. <laughs> no one wants to like hire the little game, pixel. A game on your phone. Um, so anyway, so we've been talking about all sorts of things in the last several weeks. Um, and one of the things I, I've been really intrigued by talking to leaders and CEOs like you is the concept of leadership itself. And what does that, when I say leadership, what does that mean to you in a practical manner? Not the, the book answer. What does it mean to you? What do you try to do um, as the leader of, of your company? Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm a bit of anomaly. You know, I've, I've seen some entrepreneurs on some shows talking and they're all like, you know, um, not that I'm not competitive, but they're just, you know, pretty high ego, very, you know, kind of like, yeah, we're going to crush them. And, you know, <clears throat> and I, I you know, I, I want to win and I'm competitive, but I'm not, you know, kind of wired that way. I'm a bit more like humble and strategic. And to me, leadership is about getting everybody on the same page, getting everybody aligned, having a strategy that, you know, allows us to win and letting people do their thing, not micromanaging folks. Um, it's not, getting up and you know I, I was watching i don't know if you watched succession and they I've had heard it, but i've not seen it no oh yeah they had the guy i guess it's like the murdoch family ish kind of a <laughs> story you know and they get up and they scream and do all that and you know i'm just you know, that's not how i am it's more of you know give give people the tools they need to be successful and, and point people in the right direction and have everybody pull together um, and to me, you know, that's leadership, but leadership in the way that I'm naturally, you know, wired to be, 
So we've interviewed, I don't know how many, 30 CEOs now, something like that. And that attitude is more common than shows and books and YouTube would lead you to believe, right? Mm -hmm. Where on YouTube, it's all hustle, 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 kill everything, drag it back to your cave. Get Um, up at 4 a.m., meditate, exercise, do this, do that, read this. And then, yeah, (laughs) none of it's realistic. I, I, when I've, I mean, I'm getting to the point where, and it's, this is kind of a fun notch under the belt as it were, because I've interviewed lots of different leaders and they all have different ways of doing it. But I would say predominantly, I don't, we might've met one guy who kind of sang that tune as it were. And okay. I mean, we didn't, my job is not to argue with you on the podcast, even if I'm disagreeing. Everybody has a different style. So we just want to hear the different responses. We like you with Gary. Huh? I'll argue with Gary. That's right. Yeah, well, that's... yell at Gary. That's where I get all my frustrations out. Kind of the only uh, reason I'm here. That's right. I don't need him here. I just, you know, we put him on the thumbnails because he looks good, and then the rest of the time I just yell at him. That's just how it works. Um, but it's it's interesting because most people who I've said found that are leaders, especially and, and maybe this is the difference. The people we're meeting, generally speaking, are pretty successful, right? Their companies are. I mean, we've met some onesies and twosies, and those are wonderful to talk to, um, but they're figuring themselves out, right? Mm-hmm. But most of the people we've interviewed are leading larger companies, more successful. They're not brand new, right? And I'm wondering, and I have no proof of this, but anecdotally, it makes me think that that hustle concept isn't as successful as it, they want it to appear. Like Elon Musk is probably the poster child of that, right? That hustle, work 24-7, I have no life, work, 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 work. I have a bed at, Tes- uh, at Tesla and Twitter and whatever. And he's an anomaly, I think. Now he's successful, but I don't think anyone wants to emulate that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's how you're wired. Like, um, you, you know, I think it's about playing to your strengths. You know, I, I get how Elon Musk can work that many hours. You know, I mean, for me, I don't have a ton of hobbies. And so I, I, I work similar hours as, as he does just because that's where I get my energy from. Um, I just don't have the bravado and the screaming and the, you know, chest thumping and I'm a great visionary, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is which is typical of probably 80 plus percent of entrepreneurs. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of the norm. Um, I just don't know, you know, but, you know, I'll quietly like outwork anybody. (laughs) That brings up a good point, though. Leaders are often the one who set the tone, right? So if the boss is working late, oftentimes it makes other people work late which I get the feeling that's not what you want to inspire, but you're or one who admittedly works a lot. How do you balance that? How do you tell your team I'm here till 8 PM? You don't have to be. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone needs to be themselves and, and do what they need to do. Um, like, even though, like I say, I work those hours, I'm not like in the office all the time doing those hours. I'm, I'm not the first one here and I'm not the last one to leave, but you know, I work at home or I'll be, you know, driving, thinking about something or, you know, having a meeting with somebody as I'm driving home. Um, and I, I know that doesn't work for most people. I mean, for me, it's it's about the results and how you get there is irrelevant. Like if you work a ton of hours or you don't work a ton of hours, it really doesn't matter. It's like, are we accomplishing what, what we need to accomplish? And however you get there, I, I'm, doesn't doesn't matter. 
one of the things I've had to do regarding that specifically for big pixel was there were, there have been, I go in phases of when I work a lot versus not depending on what's going on at home. And I have to make sure that my guys know that, Hey, if I'm slacking you at 8 PM, 9 PM, I don't expect a response, right? You can totally ignore me and that's fine. Yeah. But I had to tell them that because some people were feeling pressure. Like, whoa, yep. whoa, whoa, boss is asking me a question. Yeah. I need to make sure I have my phone on me so I can get back to him. No, you, you know, after six ish, depending on when some of our guys come in late, right? Um, they come in late, work late, fine. But after your core hours are done, that's not the expectation. Unless something's on fire and then I'll probably call or text, but that's pretty rare. But that's something we've had to work out in our culture because there are times where I am working late for various reasons. Sometimes I'm just bored. My, family's busy and I'm working. Um, but we have to say, Hey, ignore me when I'm after hours. And yeah. and that, that chilled people out some. Yeah. I, I had to learn. I, I used to do that. And then I kind of, you know, kind of learned that that doesn't, that's not received well by some, some people. And so I've learned in Slack to schedule the meet, the messages to arrive like Monday morning when they come in. Oh, nice. Yeah. I don't think I've ever done that. That's a good idea. Yeah. You can schedule it to arrive at whatever time you, can do you that? want and what date. Yeah. And so like when people come in Monday, it's like, like all the, all the things I've thought about over the weekend are hitting at eight or oh, nine okay. in the morning on Monday and people slack, slack messages. Wait, that that's just, just, can you imagine you come in at 9am and your ding, boss ding, 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 37 ding. Slack. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, that's a lot, man. Whoa. That's funny. Uh, I, I just, I find it so interesting, the practicalities of leadership versus just, I mean, everyone's read the, some books and everyone will say really nice quotes. Yeah. There's lots of motivational posters and stuff, but yeah, and now, I great. had a question. David also mentioned numerous times in the past that I'm assuming here, Peter, that you probably started the company a while ago and played a lot of different roles. You didn't just start a CEO. So the practice of actually starting to slowly give away some of your job in order to do the job that needs to be done. And then still, like you said, play to your strengths. How was that transition? Yeah. I mean, it's been an evolution. Um, I mean, there's certain things I just do not like to do. So something as I was pretty, pretty happy to get to the size where I can bring folks in and let them do it because like customer service, like answering the phone and, and yeah. solving a problem with a customer, even though I get it super important. I did it personally the first year or two. Um, it, it just wears me down. It just sucks the energy out of me. <laughs> um, I'm just not set up for that particular job, even though it's super important. You know, when we started, I outsourced a lot of the functions, but customer service was one that I did not outsource. And so those were the first hires. Um, a, a lot of marketing functions you can outsource to agencies um, and kind of get get good results for, for a lower cost than hiring in a person. But at some point you get to a point where it, those costs uh, may not scale properly. Um, depending upon what the what the function is, and so um, you know, for me, it's it's more the mindset of you know having goals and figuring out like where you want to get to, and then how do you get there? And um, I'm I'm kind of naturally 
I guess, set up to where I can do a lot of the jobs and I have done pretty much all the jobs. Um, yeah. But I know I'm not the best person for those jobs. And, you know, if there's someone that can, you know, do it better, it's not the best use of time to, to do all those things anyways. It's going to hold you back. And so um, it, you have to be able to let things go and, and let other people step up and, um, you know, do the functions. Otherwise, you know, you're never going to grow as an org. You're going to be, you're going to top out as an organization because there's only so many hours in the day <laughs> that you can do things. And so I think once you realize that, it's like you have no choice but to bring people in that, you know, can do certain functions. Um, the the follow-up to that is what, how was it when you have to start giving away the things you are good at? That's been the hardest for me, right? Because you have things that only the leader can do and you've got to focus on those things. But some of the operational things, for instance, that you are good at and enjoy doing, but you've got to do this leader stuff. You've got to go and do CEO stuff that's taking a lot of time. So you've got to hire in for that. How was that transition for you? Yeah, again, it, it um, yeah, I was, I was, you know, so before I started in entrepreneurship, I worked for um, two Fortune 100 tech companies, Tech Data and Dell. And those are monstrous organizations with just, I don't know how many thousands of people. And so, I mean, that's a machine. And so to go from that to being like at first a one shop entrepreneur, it's like you're, you do everything. And so there's a point where it's like, it was almost a relief to not have to do all of these, these functions. It just gets, um, nobody is set up to do all of those jobs really well. And so for me, it's more of the success of the company depends on, you know, getting out of the way, I think, yeah. um, you know, when I look at, you know, so I, I never took a business class in my life, but I kind of learned how operations and marketing and finance works through those larger companies. And I see how they're organized and structured. And so starting off as an entrepreneur is like, how do I work towards that? Um, and, and part of it naturally is, is just not doing everything. Um, and, and bringing in good people that, you know, can do as good or better job than, than you can. I want to transition a little bit and, and talk about Aronsi and how it got started initially. So you are the founder or were you brought in? You are, how did you get into that? I mean, you had this idea, I'm an entrepreneur. I want to make air filters. How, <laughs> how did that get started? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'll back up a little bit. So I was at Dell, um, during the dot-com <laughs> Uh, bubble burst, which was tech was not a fun place to be. We were just doing round after round of layoffs. And yeah. so I co-founded an e-commerce business with uh, another guy. I was in Austin, Texas at the time. And, you know, we built that from zero to, I don't know, 14 million or so. And then I sold my part of that to create a okay. And I was interested in, you know, creating a brand that was focused on indoor air quality because uh, my son you know, when he was an infant, struggled with asthma, and that was pretty impactful. Um, and, you know, and that's kind of how it got started. So I, you know, I had this seed funding, so I wasn't um, having to go out and raise money. It was more just like get the business started, um, get some products designed and produced, and then set up the website and start selling. And so when I was at Dell, one of my jobs was, you know, developing functionality for Dell.com. Did some of that at uh, the previous business. Um, and, you know, 
product launch, doing marketing support for product. So I kind of learned like the nuts and bolts for how like big companies do it. And there's a process and a structure for that. So I had confidence that, you know, little me with competing against mom and pops for the most part, I, you know, when you, when you're at Dell and you're competing with HP and then you go and you're competing with mom and pops in the early two thousands, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like you had an going unfair from the advantage. NBA to a rec league, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, and so, um, even though I didn't know how, how everything worked, um, you can kind of figure things out. Um, I mean, the business is business. Um, and, you know, I kind of just slowly built it over time as a, a direct-to-consumer e-commerce business. Um, you know, back in the, in the early days, in the early 2000s, you could advertise on Google for five cents a click. I mean, it was like super cheap. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not that way anymore, but... Uh, <laughs> you know, like, no, it is not. Now, and so, um, you know, and it kind of grew. And then when COVID hit, the air purifier market just exploded because, you know, there's more demand than supply when, you know, people are trying to clean the air and get rid of this virus. So how, how do the two companies combine? I mean, you've got your air filters and your motors. Are they going to start using those motors in your filters or you're just making totally new products? We're making completely, to reshore, we're, we're making completely new products, but okay. with the electric motors that we're making in-house. So are you involved in that engineering design thing? I mean, there's an, involved because you're the boss, I get, but I'm just, are you an engineer? Are you, in, but or is that this partner and other people at your company who are really doing yeah, it? Yeah, so when we merged, I'm, you know, equal partners with the um, with Mo, who, you okay. know, is the, mo the motor guy. Um, I'm more involved on the marketing uh, product design standpoint, like the aesthetics of it and yeah. the usability, user interface and all that. He's more of the engineering, the internals, the all the components, making sure everything is manufacturable and um, quality control and all, all of that. So it, it kind of comes together. It's interesting where design and engineering meet is where all the compromises are made. Boy, that's the truth, right, Gary? Yeah. <laughs> when design and development meet, that's where the compromises are Man, made. It, it's, sure. it's funny. We, me and Gary, he's in charge of all of our designs. And the, when the designers and the developers meet is, I mean, they're, they love each other, but boy, that can create some sparks because yeah. yeah, neither of them. It's not a. It, it, they come from a place of respect, right? I I respect what you do, but both are looking at each other, going, "Well, my part's more important, right?" <laughs> and so they they butt yeah. heads, and because you know it's got to function, it's got to be gorgeous, it's rah, and then they this fight, and it's really and sometimes I'm involved in that, and just mm -hmm. I'm just throwing meat into the pit and watching it happen because it's fun, but. Um, <laughs> It's just really interesting to, to, I think that's a universal, it's like sales versus ops. Those guys are always going to fight because yeah. sales job is to make everyone uncomfortable because they're growing the company. That's the nature of what yeah. they do and ops have to make it happen. Right. <laughs> so that is an inherent fight. It's a healthy fight. It should be there because if the sales guys are doing their job, then they're making the operations guys get better by definition. Right. And the same with design and development. If a designer is doing a good job, then the development, not easier, but it's better. It's a better product at the end and everyone respects that, but getting there can be super painful sometimes. Yeah, and oftentimes what one side wants to do makes the other side's piece worse. 
Yeah. Right. And, and that's kind of where I think where the conflict is, is like, how do you, how, how do you compromise on that? Or at least get everybody on the same page. So you understand the implications of like what you're trying to, to do, like how much of how that impacts the other side. Cause I think what, what naturally happens is like, if you're an engineer, you see things from an engineering centric perspective. And if you're a designer, you see things from a design perspective and that's the most important part of it. And it's, it's like, how do you get to where you kind of see both as equally important and, and figure out, you know, you know, in some cases you, you defer to one side and some the other side, and sometimes you kind of meet in the middle. Changing gears again, because I want to talk about something that is, I know, near and dear to your heart, because I've seen your LinkedIn posts and stuff like that. You speak often on creating a workplace that is, and I'm not sure the right term to say here, but for, for autistic use employees and to give them a comfortable place to work and, and thrive. And so I wanted to, to just talk to you a little bit about that because I find that really interesting. It's not something I have any experience in myself. And so I want, I mean, in, in development, there's, there's been a classic joke that developers through history have probably been somewhere autistic spectrum forever and just no one ever knew it, right? Just because mm -hmm. we didn't have that. And yeah. if you've ever worked with developers, you can kind of understand they're always, you know, <laughs> they're, they're a different breed. And uh, so, I mean, but you're, that's a real personal thing for you. And I'm curious, where does that come from? And, and what would you recommend to companies who are trying to have an open environment? Yeah. I mean, I think in, in a sense, the bigger umbrellas, they call it neurodiversity, which is, you know, mm -hmm. includes more than just autism. It can be ADHD, it can be dyslexia. Um, I mean, for me and, you know, uh, uh, I would think the vast majority of autistic adults, like you're late diagnosed. Um, I grew up, I was in school in the seventies and eighties. And I know in the seventies, the diagnosis rate was like one in 2,500. Nice. And the CDC came out. And so they were diagnosing people with like very high support needs um, that, you know, and when they say autism is a spectrum, it's like a spectrum on multiple dimensions. And, and all it is, is, is a different way of thinking, perceiving and socializing. And then there can be co-occurring conditions, which can affect cognition, speech. Um, you could have ADHD and there's a whole slew of other things, but, you know, if you go through the diagnostics, it's, you know, you can meet people that are, that are autistic and, you know, you may not realize that they're, <laughs> that they're autistic. Sure. Um, it, it has nothing to do with IQ. Would you be able to almost like, I wouldn't say diagnose, but have you met people that you're kind of in the back of your head, they might be on the spectrum a little bit and they might not even know it. Yep. Just from their behaviors Absolutely. and their manner mannerisms. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. The routines, yeah. the, um, sensory sensitivity, um, that stuff It's it's, yeah, there's people I'm very, you know, other entrepreneurs that I know that I'm like, pretty, pretty positive. They're autistic and may or may not, may not, may or may not recognize it. And I know Silicon Valley is like, I call it the Mecca of autism because it's just, you know, <laughs> programmers and, and tech folks, it's, you know, higher percentage It's probably double the percentage of folks there. And in, in Europe, they have the same thing where there's some tech centers, you see a lot more autistic folks. Yeah, actually, where I live here in Central Florida, the on the Space Coast, we have a very high percentage because it is literally rocket scientists and engineers. Yeah, 
Yeah. And so the CDC came out recently and now they said that it's up to one in 36. Wow. Okay. And so like when I was in school, it was one in 2,500. Now it's one in 36. And so what happens is like kids are being diagnosed and then the parents are like, I'm just like them. (laughs) And then they find out that they're autistic as well because it's, it's 80% genetic. Um, Oh, really? Okay. It's not, you know, this whatever. Um, And so what's interesting is there's this whole like generations of people that have never even been diagnosed that are walking around autistic and don't know they're autistic. Um, Because you can't go from one in 2,500 to one in 36. Sure. Yeah. It was a mass event. (laughs) Yeah. And the one in 36, they're diagnosing eight-year-olds. And so if you were, you know, if you grew up before the 2000s, and you weren't very high support needs, you were not diagnosed. It's just the science just wasn't there. Um, And so, um, and for me, it's just been like, oh, it's been like. Do you recommend, like, if you take the kid out of it, which becomes a very obvious, if your child is diagnosed, good chance, right? But let's just say you're, you know, you're, kind of quirky or you, you know, you have some of these things, but you may or may not know it. Right. Is that something that you recommend adults do for, uh, and, and, and why, I guess is, is the question. Do meaning what get diagnosed, get diagnosed. Yeah. To, to find okay. out, like, if you, are you just, you know, you just don't, you're, you're sensitive to X, Y, and Z. That doesn't necessarily mean you're autistic, but why don't you go find out? Right. That is. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's pretty, pretty life-changing um, in that uh, you go back and you relive your life's events or the miles, major milestones. And it's like, you see things through a completely different lens. You're like, Oh, that's why I struggled here or why I did well there. I mean, it's why I, I can just, you know, I have the ability to hyper-focus and it's a common thing among autistic folks. And I know that like when I get in the zone or I'm dialed in, I, I can shift into a higher gear and just block out everything that's going off on around me. And I know that's not normal. And, <laughs> and I can do it for hours. Um, and, you know, and, and I don't have a lot of hobbies. You tend to have restricted interests. I like work and I like marketing mm-hmm. and I like, and so for me, working is, is where I get my dopamine from. It's like a, a social person going to a party, mm-hmm. like, imagine getting that in social interaction, but feeling that from your work. And so it's, I don't know if I'm necessarily smarter than anyone, but it's like, it's like, I'm just wired to, to put in tons of time and work. And Elon Musk, I think is the same way where it's like, it's not crazy that he can work 80 to hundred hours a week. If that's where you get your dopamine from. Yeah. That's what gets your enjoyment. Yeah. And, and the, the challenge with like the autism diagnosis is it's really geared to kids. Like when I, so what happened with me is my wife was watching the CBS morning show and they had a woman that was autistic and she described her traits and she's like, you need to see this. (laughs) So I watched it (laughs) and I was like, Oh, that is me. And then I went online and there's a number of online assessments you can take. Um, there's one, the best one is a 50 question, I don't know, AQ test or something. It's, it's interesting. It was, it's developed by this guy, Simon Baron Cohen. He's related to Sasha Baron Cohen. I I know that name. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He's this Cambridge professor that's, you know, does a lot of research into uh, autism. So he has a 50 question test and, you know, the typical person scores, I guess, 16 to 18 
Um, they have, you know, some autistic type traits uh, on average, but the autistic people tend to score above 30. And I took it and I scored a 43. Nope, <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's a sign. And then I, you know, I took a bunch of other um, screening, you know, um, assessments and uh, scored similarly in all of them. If you can give us three pieces of advice for any new entrepreneur or someone looking to start their own business, what would you say those top three pieces of advice are? Yeah. I mean, for me, I would say like if, you know, especially if you're younger is, you know, I think your career is, is like a 50 year career and you have to think about that in terms of, you know, but, you know, if you're in your twenties, you, you could easily work 40, 50 years. Um, and, and you don't have to crush it in year one. <laughs> it's like, you have to, um, I would say two things take longer and cost more than you ever think that they would. You know, we've been developing this motor technology and this new air purifier for two to three years. Like it's, you know, if I went to China, you probably do it in a year or less and it's, you know, but we're trying to do it, you know, in a different way. And it's just a little bit more complex and it's costing significantly more um, th than I would have thought. And so you have to really be patient um, to get through the process. Um, and, you know, as an entrepreneur, if you're, um, you know, we, we make physical products and, um, you know, I've worked for the big companies and, you know, there's advantages of being a big brand. Like you've got brand awareness. And when you're starting off, nobody knows about you. And, and what I've learned is, is, uh, advertising and marketing can be really expensive. And what you want to do is you got to build marketing into your product. Um, you want people to talk about your product because word of mouth is 10 times more effective than any other form of advertising. Um, you can't make a me too product and then go out and advertise it and expect everybody to love it and talk about it because nobody, nobody cares about you or your product. Um, and you just have to make it as as good as it can be and you have to make it differentiated so somebody would want to buy it and ideally talk about it those are three very practical and real world answers and probably the best we've had in quite a while the one about the things taking longer and costing more uh, yeah would, that's so true i i love the putting your marketing in your product i mean so we obviously know a bit about oranzi this uh, because we've worked with you guys, but I will say, you know, tooling around on your website and stuff like that. It, it, <laughs> air purifiers typically are not pretty and yours are, and that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still an air purifier. It has to look a certain way yeah. to do its function, but I've always been caught. And I think you're, you're living that, that edict where put your marketing inside of your product. I love that, that phrase because People talk about your stuff, I'm sure, more than the boring beige or gray box or black box that most of these are that are meant to be hidden when yours has a design appeal to it where you're not ashamed to have that in your room. You know what I'm saying? And I think yeah. that makes people talk about it just by its very nature. And I think I think that's it's very cool. I mean, yeah, it's their aesthetics and the style of them, definitely. If someone walks in the house and sees one, they're going to be like, oh, what is that? Yeah, they're going to ask about <laughs> it for sure. Um well, thank you so much, Peter. This has been wonderful. I've enjoyed talking to you as always. Uh, but um, I do want to leave it open. If people want to find out about you and Oransi and all of that good stuff, where would they go? 
Sure. Yeah. Our website is aransi.com or A-N-S-I. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Peter-Mann, M-A-N-N. We're going to put those links in our show notes for everything we publish, including the video here and the podcast. So everybody can check those out as well. And I just did want to say, Peter, it's, we learned more about you than we did when you were a client of ours. And it was a great conversation (laughs) and it was very cool to talk to you. The questions you ask on this podcast are totally different than what you talk about when you work together. It is really interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When you work, it's like, let's get this project done. Yeah. Let's get it done. I don't care about your kids. Let's get this done. Right. I mean, it's, 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 it's this is such an interesting view of this. Anyway, if anybody wants to get in touch with us, they can leave comments below this video or they can email us at hello at the big pixel.net or they can reach out to any one of our social media channels. Those are going to be linked below this as well. Well, all right. On that note, I think we are about done. Thank you again, Peter, for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Yep. Thanks, guys. All right. We will see you guys next week.